Welcome back to a brand new episode of Sustainably Influenced with me, Charlotte Williams. And me, Bianca Foley. This season is all about the people behind the product. In a society where everything has become so disposable and waste is one of the biggest problems affecting our society, we wanted to go back to a time where what you owned was treasured. Come with us on a journey this season where we chat with experts who are taking us back to a time where craftsmanship and ethical consumption were key, but making it suitable for today's modern society. Welcome back to another episode of Sustainably Influenced. Hello. Hi. Hi, yeah. Uh, today, we're speaking about jewellery and goldsmiths. Love. Goldsmithing. Love jewellery. Mm-hmm. Love gold. <laughs> love jewellery. Love gold. Specifically gold. Yeah. No, I'm definitely a gold hardware kind of girl. So today's episode is probably, I love how the titles of these episodes or the topic is not actually what the episode's about because we're talking about the jewellery industry, goldsmithing, we're going into that kind of stuff. But we're talking about why jewellery can be unsustainable mm. or unethical. Okay, so we're, we're talking about ethics in this. Ethics again, we love ethics. Mm. So let's get into it because this is going to be quite a lengthy one, I think. Okay. So I hope you guys are sitting comfortably and now I can begin. There are two types of jewellery. Fine jewellery and fashion jewellery. I think I've got quite a mix of the two, personally. Yeah, same. So the main ingredient of fine jewellery is precious metals, mm-hmm. you know, so gold, silver, platinum, platinum, white gold, the others, and gemstones that are mined from the ground and stripping the earth of its natural resources. We have spoken about jewellery at length in mm-hmm. a previous season, and we spoke to the founder of Kimai. One of the founders of Kimai, she says, as she flashes her engagement ring at me and, my wedding and ring. her wedding ring at me. Yes, because they are from Kimai. Not an ad. She just bought them there. Her <laughs> husband bought the engagement ring there. I don't know what happened with the, the wedding ring. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so for a very long time, the industry norm has been to obtain a license, dig the metal ore, not as in an ore for a ship, like the actual form of the metal mm. uh, <laughs> an ore for a ship I mean a small boat not a ship sell the metal and once everything is extracted go and find another mine somewhere else so oh, wow. yeah. essentially find mine deplete mine move on and do the same somewhere else yeah and it's a vicious cycle of it's a really weird thing to ask yeah and I hate that I've just opened it up now but does it ever grow back that once it's mined I don't know. Oh, fine. <laughs> I thought I was being really dumb. I don't know. It's, um, I really don't know. And it's something that I've often thought about. Mm. But I think gemstone and metal resources are naturally occurring in sediment and in rock. Mm. And if there are any scientists listening, please feel free to write in and correct me. But I think once it's mined, it's gone. Okay. I think that's why you have issues with mines being completely depleted. And then they have to move into another area. Mm. I wonder if it's the same with like oil. Because I know that there'll be new springs, won't they, that they find. Yeah. Or oil comes up in, in different places. But when a diamond's mined, and we found this out before, yeah. an estimated 250 tonnes of earth is shifted for every single carrot. That's a stat that I think was in a previous episode. And even now, what, nearly a year on, still mind-blowing. Mm. That's a lot of ground to me, I think about it in terms of like shifting the earth and moving things around and what is that doing 
to the actual planet yeah. without everything else in the exploitation attached to it. To produce a 0.333 ounce gold ring, 20 tonnes of toxic wastage generated. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a new mind-blowing stat for you. Wow. That's a lot, right? On average, according to a report by Earthworks and Mining Watch Canada, gold and other metal mining companies dump at least 180 million tonnes of toxic waste into rivers, lakes and oceans every year. I feel like my research this time went a little bit deeper. So fashion jewellery is growing quickly due to fast fashion brands. Mm. Always goes back to those wonderful FF brands. There's another F I want to associate with them too. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny, I was on a panel the other day and it was about greenwashing. And one of the lovely audience members asked a question and she is a gemologist and she was speaking about whether it's better to buy fast fashion jewellery that you know you're going to keep for ages because she knows and in her own experience, she's like, I know what goes into gemstones. I know how much it costs. And she said, she was like, I can't afford any of the pieces that I'm checking. How do we go about that? Are we better off buying something that is made of mixed metals and essentially plastics Mm. that you're going to keep for an eternity or are you better off buying a piece of fine jewellery saving up and having that one item and wearing it every day until you can no longer wear it (laughs) and it gets passed down but I think it's what the consensus was within the panel was if you are going to buy from a fast fashion brand or from any other jewellery brand that may be a fast jewellery brand, then the idea is do it in the same way as we've been saying over the years with consumption is if you're buying mindfully and not buying into every trend that Mm. comes out, then it's not a bad thing. And I kind of like that takeaway. Yeah. It made sense to me and I think it left everybody feeling much nicer about the subject rather than, boo, screw you, fast fashion brands. (laughs) Like, don't buy jewellery from them either. But I think it is, as you said before, and we've said time and time again, comes down to cost yes yeah unfortunately it's all about the money so the jewelry is typically made of an inexpensive alloy or plastic as i said coated to look like metal mm. with fast fashion jewelry once in a landfill metal and plastic jewelry doesn't biodegrade and ends up releasing toxins into the air and water what are your thoughts on fast jewelry i don't buy that much jewellery. I tend to wear the same stuff over and over again. Yeah, all of my jewellery is actually demi-fine, apart from my wedding and engagement ring of recent times. And then I do have some fast fashion jewellery that I've got from like ASOS. Yeah, that we've and, got years and years. Yeah, I've had them for years. I um, feel like jewellery, you do just, tend to keep, don't It lasts you? the test of time, generally. Unless you're heavy-handed like me, um, or keep things in your handbag and the earring back gets pushed off. I don't know. Yeah, I think my whole ethos around everything is just like keep it forever and then give it away if not. I've never thought about fast fashion jewellery before. No. I've never thought about it in that way, actually. Yeah. It was something that was brought up to me a couple of months ago because I saw these earrings online. I was like, oh, my God, they're beautiful. I will wear them for an eternity. And I did go into like some sort of moral battle with myself because Mm. they were from Zara. Oh. I don't particularly want to shop at Zara anymore. And I haven't for a very long time, which for the girl that used to be in Zara day in, day out, is a big deal. And I sat there and I was like, oh, I'm in a bit of a moral quandary. I don't know (laughs) what to do with myself. And long story short, I didn't buy them because I didn't want to facilitate 
that or yeah. almost encourage the production of these things because it was from a fast fashion company. But at the same time... You wanted the earrings. I wanted the earrings, man. Like They were really nice. and I know Did I, you buy them? No. No, I didn't. I've got lots of Zara earrings that I've bought over the years. Yeah. You know those little dangly, jemmy ones that I've got that I wear like Christmas time normally? Or <laughs> I call them my Hollywood starlet earrings. And I bring them out all the time. And I've had them maybe seven years. Yeah, so the thing. I have earrings I got from ASOS. Do you know like my little cherries? Mm. I've had them for like five years. I have loads of earrings from ASOS actually because when I was younger... I used to exclusively shop on ASOS because yeah. it was affordable and had all the good stuff. Yeah, it's a tough one. Tough yeah, one. it's it hard. Genuinely, it's because I don't shop that often as well. And I don't really shop for jewellery. I tend to get it as gifts, which is quite nice. Yeah, that makes makes us sound so privileged when we say, I guess it is a gift. <laughs> no, but like, people never know what to get me and jewellery yeah. jewellery's a safe a bet. safe, like, as long as it's gold for me, I'm pretty... She says after just saying, oh, I've got silver hoops and I wear silver and silver looks better on me. So no, it doesn't look better. I said it look good. good. No, to be fair, though, it does look good on you. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's, it's one of those topics that you don't think about until you have to think about it. Yeah. So, yeah, getting back on track, which actually leads me perfectly into my next topic to do with this is traceability. Mm. We love talking about traceability and transparency here because they're two of the biggest things within the ethical production space that yeah you need to discuss and traceability is really really difficult within the jewelry industry whether that be fine or fashion jewelry oh interesting so yeah and Go on. unfortunately particularly for fine jewelry artisanal mining is still happening in the most poor regions mm. which i mean is something that we've spoken about not only just once on the podcast, we've spoken about jewellery and mining production, I think maybe two or three seasons we've done this. Mm. So it's something that needs to be discussed further. And I think it's an ongoing discussion. Yeah, You've got most of Africa, Central and South America being exploited for mining. Also, these materials pass through so many different hands. So the traceability process is so difficult. As a result, the very end users of the product, i.e. us, the mm. consumers, are going to be oblivious as to whether the gold used to make their bracelet was mined in an abusive or unsafe working condition yeah, or ethically. It's almost that kind of magpie effect for me. And somebody who loves jewellery and used to make jewellery when they were younger, using not semi-precious metals but semi-precious stones. I love the beauty of the creation of the jewellery, but I never thought about where... The stones, the metals, the fixings were coming from. Yeah. I fall into the awe of the beauty of the product rather mm. than thinking about who made it. And yeah. I feel like that's something that on this journey that we've both been on, I constantly have to ask myself who made this. Yeah, I feel like we should do th I should do that more. I think <laughs> oh, no. I like that. I should do that more. I won't say we. Just the royal we, everyone in general, but I was thinking about this this morning because we've had a little break from the podcast. So coming back into recording, I was like, oh, I'm back into like my sustainable life. And I have done like a bit of shopping recently because of my wedding and I needed to get some bits. And I just felt like I hadn't been as focused as normal mm. on like the environment. And I found it quite interesting to think like, oh, I need to get back into sustainability. It's <laughs> but hard. Thinking about... Yeah, everything that you're buying, everything you're using, everything you're doing and making sure that you know where it's coming from. Mm. Yeah, it's very true. I've made a few purchases recently that 
I knew I was going to keep for a long time, but I kind of had to switch my mindset because they weren't from an ethical brand, mm. and that's okay. But I know I was making a sustainable purchase in the sense that I know I'll keep it forever. I know I'll rent it out. I know that it will get very well used. Yeah. And at the end of its life cycle, I could probably have it altered to make it be something else, which mm. would be nice. So these are the things that I was thinking about, and I felt like my consumption has changed a lot. So this journey's been very positive for me in that sense. But anyway, we're going to talk about something not so positive. Historically, obviously, there's a lot when it comes to like human rights violations mm. to do with mining. So militant and violent groups have exploited metals and mineral mining to fund their activities. And international trade in minerals has often financed and perpetuated human rights violations in conflicted regions. So mm, there's a lot there. There's a lot that we could unpack. And I think when it comes to the matter of human rights, we could go just on an episode in itself mm. on the human rights behind mining and talk about the exploitation and the lack of ethics there. And the changes that are being made by a lot more younger companies. In addition, obviously, there's health implications associated to mining. Mm -hmm. So the miners go into the caves and as they're working, they don't always necessarily have the best safety gear. And the labourers can breathe in microscopic dust and that's very damaging mm. to the lungs. So it's causing a lot of health implications. So lastly, I think at the very, very far end of the supply chain, you have to think about unsustainable packaging associated with jewellery, especially fine jewellery, because they love to put like these quite heavy boxes and they're all coated in something and then the foam mm. and then the bags and then the ribbons and the things and the things and the cards and the it's just it's too much it's too too much so associated with that as well there's the carbon footprint mm. in light of all of this I want to just talk about maybe some more sustainable options <laughs> okay that's why we kind of wanted to talk about goldsmithing a little bit because I think it's so nice to be able to talk about those traditional crafts and methods of making. So lots of traditional jewellers and goldsmiths are now working with 100% recycled materials, wow. which is great. And a massive problem within the jewellery industry is the untraceability of resources. And by sourcing their own materials, and especially more so recycled materials, goldsmiths are avoiding going through that questionable source mm -hmm. aspect. And instead, they're turning to discarded, unwanted materials, and they're turning them into new works of art which is so nice. Yeah. So we are now going to speak to Arabelle Le Broussin about her brand Le Broussin Jewellery. Spanish-born Arabelle's roles include designer, leading artist, and one of the world's very first fair trade gold licensees. So she's a key founder of the ethical jewellery movement. Let's speak to her now. So Arabelle, thank you so, so much for joining me. Kind of want to talk to you a little bit about the process because I know you have a sustainable <laughs> jewellery brand. And could you just take me through the process of what it means to create sustainable jewellery, please? So with jewellery, it's all about materials and the materials that it's made with and where those materials come from and how they've been extracted out of the ground and how that piece of jewelry has been made. So it's kind of by knowing those materials that then you can trace back. So the biggest issue in jewelry was traceability. We just didn't know where our diamonds came from, where our sapphires, our rubies, our metals. And you have to imagine like we are talking about metals so we're talking about mining and that brings a whole lot like a huge amount of challenges how can taking something out of the ground ever be sustainable 
unethical for that matter. So I think we need to be quite careful about how we call things. And for me, it's all about telling the stories, tell where things are coming from. We also do a lot of recycling. So that was our first call of action. If we know that mining is not good for us and mining is not good for the environment, we want to reduce that. Can we just use everything that is above ground? So we use a lot of recycled metals, a lot of recycled gemstones, recycled diamonds. And then the other part is like, okay, if we are going to go back to mining, if we're going to go to mining, if I really need something taken out of the ground because I can't find it above ground, then I need to do it just thinking more about social justice. So then I'm going to do it with people that need that mining the most, that need the mining for their day-to-day living. So I'm going to do it with small-scale miners in communities that don't really have any other type of income. So mining is their core activity. So I'll make sure that if I'm going to go to get things from the earth, I'm going to do it with the people to whom it will bring the biggest benefit. And obviously then bring all those stories to the piece of jewelry uh, and make a beautiful piece of jewelry. So yeah, that's the two ways how I approach sustainability and ethical jewelry as a big, broad name but it has a lot of subtle tones that you need to explain to customers what you mean with things because we don't want to fall into greenwashing either. But it's really interesting because jewellery is something that I think people don't think about in terms of sustainability per se, just generally speaking. They think, oh, well, I've got this metal, you make something from it. And have you always had that focus or interest throughout your career like in terms of sustainability or was it something that was triggered something? That's a great question. And I get it often because it's like, were you born with it or did your experiences brought you into this? And I have to say it was experience. I've always struggled a lot. When I started in my early 20s working, I happened to land a wonderful job as a fashion accessories designer. So I did that for many years. I used to travel to Hong Kong, to the Philippines, and I, I would see really a lot of manufacturing happening. And that really brought lots of questions. It was, it was sorry to say, it was only around 2000. So back in the 2000, also that link to genocide in Sierra Leone with the diamonds. And I think I had a bit of a conversion. I was seeing how things, how natural resources were exploited in different countries. The use and abuse of those natural resources. And then at the same time, I was hearing and reading these books. And that really shocked me. It's like, Jesus, my industry from really the accessory side to the really high end is highly complicated and it's not good for us. There's some not good bits in there that I want to change. I'm like, this cannot be my industry. I want to change this. <laughs> so the first steps were really understanding it. I was always quite an empathetic person. So I would empathize with different cultures. So for me, traveling was really the key that opened that empathy, I think. And then when I was in, in my industry, I was like, oh, Jesus, this doesn't look very good. And that doesn't look very good. I used to go around offices and I would buy freshwater pearls by the kilo. So you can imagine the amount of materials that I was dealing with. And a piece of jewelry, you see, oh, yeah, it just has this little bit. You know, it's not so big. You, how can you be impacting the world so much with such a small thing? But what is behind it and the whole industry is large. I mean, it's very similar to textiles, fabrics. It's just the sheer volume of it that is going to really be the problem, not just one piece. So, yeah, definitely my first experiences as a young jewelry designer that really opened my eyes and make me the person who I am today and fight for the things that I find I should be fighting for and that makes sense in my world. That's a really lovely answer. I think my experience was very similar because when people ask me, oh, how did you get into this? Are you like a super eco-warrior, this, that, the other? I was like, no, experience made me who I am and seeing that injustice made me who I am. 
I think justice for me is the key one. Like, I can't see that injustice without doing something about it. So it's like, no, I'm sure we can do better than this. How can we do better, you know? Who is with me? <laughs> Let's do better. <laughs> so, moving on to our kind of last question on this, I want to talk a little bit about the composition and how things are made. And I know over the years, like a lot of the different industries that we've spoken about here on this podcast have had health implications. And I just wanted to know, a little bit about that with regards to jewellery and mining, I guess, more so, because we know that in the mines, it's probably not the best environment for people to be in here, all sorts of things. In terms of the final product, do they contain harmful toxins or is there a health implication? So here's where it really depends if we're talking about accessories, demi or fine jewellery, because they are all made with different materials. So lucky for us, High end, no problem. All the metals are quite pure, gemstones as well. There is not chemical treatments. The only thing that people might be aware of is plating. So for example, white gold will have a white rhodium plating on top of the white gold. It's just because white gold doesn't look as white as people imagine. What makes it look so white is the rhodium plating that is on top. I've never really met anyone that one person that could be allergic to that. So we just literally not plated it. I think also... Not plating, I do it because of environmental reasons. There's not really a reason to put another coat of another metal on top of the metal itself. You just have to embrace the color originally. Otherwise, you just go for platinum because platinum is whiter than white gold. So in demi, no hormone materials again, but some people can be allergic to nine carat gold just because of the extra other materials. So it's much less percentage of gold and more percentage of other materials in the mix, other metals. And some people can be allergic to those other metals. With accessories, it's really a big question mark because accessories are made with something we call base metal. And base metal can be many different mixes of metal. And you don't know the composition. So when you go to a supermarket, you know the ingredients of something. When something is food related, we're obliged by law to say what is in there. But that doesn't happen the same with, with products. But please be aware that that's probably not produced in any sustainable way. I mean, and we're not even reaching the material section. So yeah, that one, it can give allergies. So it really depends if you have a sensitive skin or also your skin can turn different colors. It's just also temporary, but it, it can leave a tint on your skin as well. Like, I don't know if you notice sometimes when you wear a piece of jewelry and then your finger becomes green. That's like a copper also, because copper in reaction with the skin. I've always wondered why things went green when you wear them. I didn't realize it was the mix. So even with like costume jewelry, yes, I that, costume. That isn't, there's no real gold in that. It's just plating and different mixed metals. So that's yeah. when everything goes green. It's good yeah. to know. Good to know. Yeah, that could also happen with the plating because if it's costume jewellery, it's the same thing as I call accessories. So it's the same again. It's a base metal. You have a plating on top that makes it look shiny yellow, shiny white. And then whatever other maybe glass is, put, is added to it or maybe plastic is added to it. So there's not really harmful that you would say an extra chemical but it's just that we as humans can be allergic to those natural metals and no one is allergic to i've never met anyone it's the gold it's allergies so it's more that than if it's low carat weight and that gold has been mixed with others the other bits is what can give you allergy you know the beautiful thing with jewelry is that it's pretty simple 
it's usually just a few components. So as far as we know what those elements and those materials are, we should be able to strip out any cause for harm in a way. The, the harm is when that metal has got out of the ground, like we were saying with mining. There's quite a lot of risk involved. And even when gemstones, for example, are cut in the cutting process, the powder that is generated by polishing diamonds and polishing gemstones, if you breathe it, that can cause long term some health problems in your lungs. So this is, for example, something that people don't realize. People think just, oh, mining. Oh, yeah, how it is to be manufactured. But there's one thing in the middle, which is cutting gemstones. That is also another step in that big supply chain of jewelry that are less talk about but it's also a cause for concern. That's actually very similar to fashion in the sense that you have a lot of sweatshops in India doing that kind of labor and then being paid by the piece and you know, health and safety are not at the top of their priorities. So moving on, I just wanted to give our audience a few points that they can maybe look out for. Mm-hmm. if they are looking to buy ethical or sustainable jewellery. So think quality over quantity. You don't want to have everything maybe buy to last. It's that kind of idea again. We say this time and time again. Buy things you're going to like and wear for a really long time. Look at the material. So is it made out of 100% recycled material? You don't want anything that is a percentage, like a lower percentage, because then you don't know where the other mixed metals are coming from. Look at their supply chain transparency It's something that you can find out on websites. If you look at the brand website, you should be able to trace it back. Are they registered? Do they have all the proper certifications? Identify brands with a positive impact. And I think this goes across the board. Yeah. If you're shopping and you're doing some research on a brand and you know that they're making a positive impact, you're going to be more likely to spend your money with them, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, there's that. As I said before, look out for certifications. There are a number of ethical jewellery certifications that you can find online. And finally, be aware of greenwashing. Mm. Greenwashing in jewellery, I think, is almost as bad as in fashion. Yeah. Mm. There's been some marketing. And again, this was raised at that panel that I did. One of the panellists is a jeweller and has her own ethical jewellery brand. But she pointed out that loads of high street jewellers, which do make demi-fine jewellery, are saying, oh, recycled materials, recycled materials. But it goes back to that point that I made where if they're saying it's 30% or 40% recycled materials, Mm -hmm. what is the other percentage? What is it made out of? Is it newly mined ore or Mm -hmm. gold or silver or whatever it is that they're using? Is it just mixed metals, just random stuff that they can put together? Because essentially, if you're plating things, you can just use mixed metals. So it's not very nice. Mm. Not very nice. It's not great for allergies, though. Yeah. If you're allergic to a metal and then they can't really tell you what it is. Yeah, it's it's not not great. Mm. And what can you do as a consumer? I mean, if you aren't sure, there's always this. Don't spend your money. Don't buy from the brand. (laughs) It's It's always this. It's always this. (laughs) If you're unsure about a brand's ethics, if you want to be more considerate and you're not sure, just don't spend your money in it. (laughs) That's all I can say. (laughs) What more can I say on that point? Um, You can buy vintage or secondhand pieces if you want to use something that's already in existence. And finally, do your research. I think that that's probably the best thing. I think a lot of us within the ethical community think that it's on brands to give us the education or to give us all the information. But if you can then educate yourself, mm-hmm. 
and know what to look out for, it will make when you do buy things all that much easier. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to stop telling people off on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to now move on to speaking to somebody that actually you introduced me to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I introduced you to Darren Sherwood, Mm -hmm. who is the founder of Sherwood Jewelry, last year because I worked with him as he is part of the Black Jewelers Collective. And I did a project with them and Alex Monroe, the jewellery brand. It was essentially an accelerator programme for black jewellers where my agency put together a few months of workshops and training courses around marketing and branding. So we helped really push the digital side, so helping them understand social media, how to leverage their brand on social, creating their, their brand strategy and their social media strategy and things like that. Oh, fantastic. And PR and comms, yeah. Yeah, great. And then at the end, we hosted a showcase with all the jewellers in one room showcasing their amazing jewellery. And it was all completely different. Every jeweller was so different. It was different. incredible. It was yeah. really incredible. Well done. That. Well done for putting that together because oh, no, I think it was probably one of the best fairs I've ever Ooh. been to in that sense. You couldn't buy anything. But no. it was good for the brands to be able to showcase their wares. It was like a press day. Yeah, I think Sherwood jewellery really stood out to me because the designs are beautiful Mm. and Darren is incredibly knowledgeable and very, very well skilled. So we decided we had to get him on the podcast and here's our chat with Darren. So Darren, thank you so much for joining me. I wanted to really kind of get into it with sustainability and craftsmanship. So over, I guess, your length of service, would that be the correct, or your career? Yeah. I think, would you mind just giving us a little bit of, like, background, first of all, to what your career is and what you do? And then, have you noticed, like, an increase in people doing the same thing as you, like sustainable jewellers or an increase in traditional craftsmanship? I started off properly, I would say, in the trade. I started in 2002, working for an ex-Cartier diamond mounter who trained me up in traditional diamond mounting to higher-end jewellery. So it's not like normal jewellery. It's things done to a tenth of a millimetre accuracy and mainly by eye. Back then it was anyway. We didn't have many machines. It was just all very high-end craftsmanship. And now I have my own shop based in Purley, where I still design and make and all that fun stuff. Traditional jewellery, it is kind of making a renaissance, but there is a huge issue with the outlets for students to learn from. And as the trade changes and new technologies come into play, much like CAD and 3D printing and things like that, the skills that I learned are no longer generally necessary. If the CAD designer is educated enough, then you can cut short all the handmaking part of it. You're getting a, a whole new batch of diamond mounters that aren't learning the necessary skills that they don't realize that if they didn't have that machinery, they'll have a problem pushing it forward. So that's the only issue I'm really seeing at the moment with the trade. But places like the Goldsmith Center and a few individual mounters and workshops here and there, they're all kind of doing their own little bit to try to make sure people get the right education but you also get the issue of 
how do you keep young people interested in learning what we do? Because there's a lot of hours, <laughs> a lot of hours and a lot of frustration. And it does take a long time for you to actually become useful in what you do. I want to talk a little bit about what it is that you make. And you use a lot of recycled materials in your jewellery and your pieces. So where do you source things like that? The things I kind of make, they vary from some things to do with antique restoration all the way up to ridiculously higher-end pieces that you know you could buy small countries with virtually. But the materials, most gold or precious metals is recycled within England. It's bought in as secondhand, refined by the big refiners, and then they take it back up to completely pure and add alloys into it to bring it back down to the usable platinum, usable 18 carat or 9 carat, whatever. So most gold in England is now recycled. It's very, very rare you're going to get mined metal. Some stones are recycled and recut if they're from antique pieces and they need repolishing or recutting if they're chips or cracks in them. They can be recut by lepidurists. What was that, a lepidurist? Yeah, lepidary. It's like the cutting of stones and stuff like that. Beautiful word, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So as opposed to sustainability, we do more fair trade and fair mind pieces within the trade because there is such a bad history of slavery and child slavery and criminal activity to do with pressure. Anything precious, you get those kind of elements in there. We've spoken about jewellery and jewellery production and Mm. manufacturing and diamond mining before on previous seasons. And knowing that something has been fairly mined would, for me as a consumer, make me think that I'm spending my money with a better company. So it's something you should look out for. Yeah. And I mean, with the introduction now of lab-grown diamonds as well, that has taken that element out off the whole equation because you're growing diamonds in labs under the same conditions that diamonds are made underground. So... But you're not destroying the planet in that respect. You're not digging a giant hole in the ground. There's no slavery or anything to dig these things up. So it cuts that all out, which is quite amazing. And what I'm realizing is that most of the younger generation now, they don't really care where a diamond comes from. They only look at what it looks like and the cost of it. And seeing that lab-growns are so much cheaper than naturals because you're cutting out all that mining cost. So you mentioned there something about the fact that we're removing mining from the process and something that really makes me think. I'm like, okay, we're removing the mining, but are we then removing jobs from those communities? We may do. We may do. But I think it's one of those things where even if you removed the mining, if you remove those companies, then you're going to have an issue like they'd had in Zimbabwe or Uganda where you remove the farmers. And then you have, yeah, great. You've got these massive corporations out, but then you haven't taught the skills to anyone else to be able to do what they do. So I think it swings around about, you know, it's all well and good saying, yeah, lab drones are great, but you've still got the issue with the energy they use to create these diamonds, the pollution they may create. There are a few carbon neutral companies, which are quite amazing, that are using solar power to create these diamonds. And there's another company that pulls carbon from the air. So I only learned about this quite recently, this pulling carbon from the air to create fibers. And when I say my mind literally, my tiny little mind, (laughs) I was sitting there going, sorry, you make what out of what? Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned using gemstones. One question that we sort of have for you is, are recycled gemstones more difficult to source and work with? Because obviously they can be a little bit more damaged. Not really. Things like old cut diamonds, we use loads 
loads and loads of them, mainly because... Can you just explain what the difference is between... Brilliant cut diamonds or modern cut diamonds, they have a certain amount of facets and they're all machine cut, so they're all beautiful and extremely sparkly. Rose cuts, they like have a flat back to them. Old cuts, you can see when you look through the stone, you kind of see a flat underneath the culet. There's a, like a window in the middle of the diamond. And they're just irregularly cut. But the old cuts, when you get antique jewellery in or you want to make an imitation antique, you'll always use them. And there's a bit more romance about them. I love them. I absolutely love them. Yeah, so we use recycled diamonds all the time. Coloured gemstones like sapphires, we do get them. And most of the time, because after wear and tear, after the number of years, they do have to be repolished. The polishers, they do get them back to virtually the same shape as they were even recycled metal. So a lot of times, especially in the shop, I get a lot of people coming in with family heirlooms where they want to just reuse the stones, reuse the metal. Can you remodel something, redesign something using this stuff? So ping the stones out, measure them, redesign something that they like, melt up the metal, cast it myself in the workshop and make it or melt it up and just make it out of metal and make them a brand new heirloom. That's the fun bit. It's nice to know that you can use what's out there. Yes. Being able to melt things down and reuse them is just, love it. I'm very happy about these things. They make me a happy person. You know, going back to my original point that I'm not sure a lot of the newer students within the jewellery trade will know how to make something out of nothing with no technology to help them, just basic hammer and everything else, which is how my first boss taught me it was like yep you're not using anything just use your hand skills and that's what you're doing it's remarkable you will have a completely different set of skills mm. to the students that are passing out now and yeah it goes for every trade i think so i think this might be something that might be a bit of a controversial question but i think answer it the best you can in your own in your own opinion do you think that the jewellery industry has embraced sustainability or is there still a long way to go? I think it's trying to, but the nature of our business doesn't really allow it all the time. You know, especially when you're working in the high end, those people who buy it, it's not on their radar. A friend of mine, he makes ridiculously expensive handbags and one lady came in to see him and I think she was wearing half a dead animal on her, so <laughs> around her neck. So you're like, well, they don't really care for sustainability. They just want something that no one else has got. That is something where the luxury sector is really, really slacking, I think, where yeah. it's exclusivity over... Sustainability. Yeah, and yeah. sustainability. If the client is after sustainable products, the jeweler will do his best to meet their needs. Whereas if they are not and they just want something, whatever they want, we will get it to meet their budget. So some sustainable things within the trade are more expensive because it has a paper trail and you have to pay for each part of that paper trail. Other things or not it's kind of it, it, i just want a, a carrot stone i don't care where it's come from oh it's that much i want one that's been tracked through the kimberley agreement it's that much i think the trade is trying but it's down to the individual the individual job and the mounter or the jeweler that's making it does experience factor into that in terms of cost as well so if i was going for mm. somebody who specializes in one specific type of design Will that then add additional 
cost on? Not necessarily. I think even if you said you went to any jeweler and just go, I want a simple wedding band, 18 karat yellow, but I want it fair mind. I want to know that it's fair mind or fair trade gold as opposed to non-fair mind or fair trade. So you could either say that or I want it recycled metal. Those have different costs because fair mind, you have a separate cost because it comes in slightly more expensive because of the licensing and the checks that go with it and recycled or secondhand that could be done at probably the same cost. And then you've got these other companies that mass produce the bloody thing. So they're going to be the cheapest ones or the companies that buy them in such massive bulk. Then you have no history of where they come from. So it's just down to the individual and the cost because what we get is like, yeah, I want this, that, and the other, or I want an 18 karat gold wedding band, which is, very basic ring and you go okay cool a thousand pound fair mind she goes why is that so expensive when i've seen it online for like 300 quid so you want a fair mind <laughs> and then if you want a fair mind i have to hand make this ring if you want me to just buy one online i could buy it online and sell it for the same price it's not a problem. <laughs> it's a weird one it's like people want all this but then they see a price that they've seen online and then they come back to you like well why it's still that matter of consumption over yeah. consideration and I just wish that people yeah. would think like you're buying a fine piece of jewellery. You're not going down H&M and getting acrylic earrings made that are being made, unfortunately, in very, very poor working conditions. You're getting a single skilled worker spending hours, often with very heavy metals and toxic stuff. I'm sure that there's some health implications involved when it comes to making jewellery. But why would you not pay for that level of expertise and service? Yeah. I remember when I was in university, we were hit with a question, because we are craft-based, we're not seen in an art circle. So we don't get in the same hierarchy as fine artists, say. We're seen in craft. So we're in the same bracket as wicker basket makers, which I don't knock because they're amazing. I don't know how to make a wicker basket, but they kind of put us in the same realm when... It isn't the same. And yeah, silversmiths get even worse than us because their antique world is so badly priced that modern silversmiths are finding it really difficult to make a living because why would you buy a modern piece of silverware when I could just go to the antiques market and buy one with history for around the same money? It's a very, very strange one. It's kind of how do you explain to someone that, yeah, it should cost this much, but it still takes me eight hours to get to that. And, you know, some of the tools I have, some of my pliers start at £100. <laughs> Are you willing to buy them? I don't think so, so. It's a conversation that we could probably have for another hour or so, if not more. But we will leave it there. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much to Darren for being a guest here because I think for me, you know, I always get really overexcited when we do these deep dives into mm. the industries and jewellery is something that I genuinely love. And like yeah. I said, it was an interest of mine from a very, very young person. When I think of you, I actually think of jewellery. Yeah, you've you're said that always, so many times. Like you're always laden with Jewels and it's gold. Probably the least that I've ever worn. Yeah. How do you jewelry? I've got loads of earrings in still, I think, but I've not got lots on today. So now let's get on to the sustainably influenced sustainability score. Woo-hoo! 
gold. What are we going to score? I think mm, mining. <laughs> There's different options here. Yeah. Um, we can score fast fashion jewellery. Oh, I like this. Yeah. We could also score something Darren was speaking about was taking old pieces of jewellery and then making them new. Yeah. So recycled jewellery. Recycled jewels. Yeah. Cool. I think. Two, two yeah. scorings. So fast fashion jewellery. I'm thinking about my, I'm going to use a personal example. So my ASOS cherry earrings that I got in like 2017 and I wear them a lot. At least twice a week. So I would say, how sustainable is it? It depends on the person. But what you said earlier about decisions behind your purchases. So if you know that this is a piece of jewellery that you will continue to wear... And also you look after that jewellery. So yeah. make sure it doesn't tarnish, make sure it doesn't break, whatever. Then I would say, if you can have that piece of jewellery forever, which you could, I can mm -hmm. have my those earrings and give it to my kids or nieces or whatever, I'd give it a six. Yeah, I think so. I that's... don't think it's actually as bad, depending on what it's made out of, yeah, obviously. Yeah, this is it. Um, I think, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, actually. Materials are the only thing mm. that I... Materials and production would bring it down. But if you as the consumer are keeping it, like, I've got a pair of earrings that are, must have been, not fast fashion, but they're not exactly fine jewellery, mm. that my aunt gave me. She gave me two pairs of these beautifully little, almost like woven plastic earrings they are. But they're all woven together, the pieces, to make these little flowers. Oh. And she had those in the early 60s. And they are beautiful and they look brand new. And I feel like I could see those in a vintage shop now. Mm. And they would still be, like, they look fantastic. And I know that they've been kept and they've been passed on. Okay. So in that sense, I'm going to probably give it a six as well. Because nice. I know that I would be that kind of person to pass them on. Perfect. And then recycled jewellery, as in pre-loved gold. Yeah. I'm going to give it a big fat nine. Yeah, same. Yeah. Oh, look at us in agreement. I think a big fat nine on that one. We're turning that six upside down and making a nine. Yeah. Because you're using materials that already exist. Big thumbs up. Big thumbs up on that one. And you're making something new out of something that exists. And there's so much in existence. Why do we have to go and get new to make more when yeah. there's so much in existence? So it leads into my personal belief system. So yeah, I'm very happy about that. Amazing. Yeah. So. Beautiful. That's the end of this episode. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Sustainably Influenced is hosted by Bianca Foley and me, Charlotte Williams. This season was produced by Content is Queen, sound edited by Amber Miller. And a big thanks to our researcher, Anna Stoney. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.